You know, before we heard that statement, most of us didn't know that the word is had so many various definitions, right? We thought it just basically meant what it said. In those moments that seem now to me to be almost a different world because so much has happened in the life of our country, we experienced a moment of, in many ways, what we would call dishonor where we had a president who dishonored his office and his family and his country and himself by having an extramarital affair and then lying about it. And lying about it really in a very public way. And what a, a tragedy that was for our country. But in many ways, it was also a very personal tragedy for this man. Because here we have a man who overcame many of the, the really difficult obstacles of life. A man whose father died when he, Clinton, was very young and then experienced the stepfather that he describes as abusive, neglectful, alcoholic. And yet somehow he gathered himself together and began to realize his ability to speak and his ability to attract people to his position, a great a political ability that landed him in the governor's mansion in the state of Arkansas and finally in the White House. But in those positions, where there was great responsibility, great expectation, where he had come so far to get to those points, he couldn't keep his appetites under control. And once that got out of control, he also couldn't tell the truth about what he had done, and that's where the legal proceedings began, and where impeachment started for this man who had come so far. It was as if we were watching on national television someone self-destruct. And that's the title of our series that we're starting today, Self-Destruct Sequence. And it's sort of a negative lesson because we're going to turn for the next few weeks to the life of a man named Saul. And we find his story in 1 Samuel. He's not to be confused with a New Testament character <clears throat> of Saul who became Paul, okay, this apostle who preached to so many people, but this Old Testament character the very first king of Israel, chosen by God to be in this position, and we watch this man's life unravel as we read his story. The story is also about a man named Samuel, a prophet, who seems to have done everything he could to hold it together for Saul, to call him back to be the man, the king, the leader, the person that he should have been, and yet Saul continued to fall away, to refuse to lead as God had called him to lead, because of his fear and his self-doubt and his, especially his lack of faith in God. And so we're going to think together about how we can overcome some of the mistakes that King Saul made in our lives so we don't go down this path to self-destruction, so we don't follow a self-destruct sequence ourselves. Now, back to Clinton for a minute. You know, when we think about these words, accept responsibility, and that's the title of today's sermon because it's one of these issues that are involved in this self-destruct sequence that we see in the life of King Saul. When we say accept responsibility, we often mean, there's a couple of ways we could, could sort of refer to this. The first meaning is accept responsibility, take responsibility for your actions, right? Okay. That's what we often think of. If you've done something wrong, it's clearly wrong. You've offended God. You've offended other people. You've dishonored yourself. At least have the decency and integrity to stand up and say, I did that. Okay? Take responsibility for your actions. 
deal with sort of what's going to be the fallout because of what you did. That's a, a concept we see all the way through Scripture, and it's really called repentance, right? Where we say, listen, what I've done was wrong. It was sinful. I should not have done it, and it's got to change. It's not just feeling guilty, not just feeling bad, not just upset you got caught, but the sense that it's wrong and I have to be a different person, a turning. Biblical concept. And certainly we see the need for that in King Saul at times. But there's also this second understanding of accept responsibility. And that's where we are given a certain responsibility for King Saul that was leading his people. We're given a certain responsibility and we need to take that responsibility and live it out. We need to take that responsibility and do what is expected of us. Do what's needed in the situation. Whether it's leading or guiding or just being a person of integrity. We need to take that responsibility and do something with it. Now, we know in the second meaning, and that's where I want to focus today, it's not always easy to do that, right? Even on our job, we have certain responsibilities things that we know we have to do. And what happens if we don't do those things? We don't keep our job. And certainly we see that at work in a person like Bill Clinton who had this responsibility to be the leader of really what was the most powerful nation in the world. And he didn't keep that responsibility. We see that in King Saul. Appointed by God, chosen by God to be the leader of his people And Saul just can't take that responsibility and run with it. Instead, he fails over and over and over again, sort of creating ways to fail in this responsibility that God had given him. But before we condemn everyone else, we have to remember that that we fail in this too. That there are times when we have been given responsibility and we don't accept it, we don't take it, we don't live it, we let it go. Think about it this way. You know, there are people all around us who don't know Jesus. And they need someone to, as we talked about in the last series, to be a witness. To talk about what Jesus has done. What He did in history and what He's done in our lives. And it's easy for us to say, well, someone else will do that. They'll encounter another Christian, and that other Christian will be the one that will talk to them about Jesus and lead them to a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe if they come across a preacher or an elder or somebody like that, one of those people, those are the people who really know how to talk about Jesus, and, and one of those people will you know, have the opportunity to speak into this person's life. And we say, someone else has the responsibility to do this. Or it could even be as simple as leading our children or grandchildren to a relationship with Jesus, we know it needs to be done. We want it to get done. And yet, because we doubt our own ability, we doubt what God has put inside of us, we hope that the church will do that. Hopefully somebody in church. You know, if we send them to church, then there'll be teachers there, there'll be a minister there, and those people, can, those people can lead my children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews or whatever it may be to this relationship with Jesus, and we just say, hey, someone else will do it. We don't accept the responsibility that has been given to us. So what do we do with that? We know we've failed at that. I want us to look at the example of Saul and see if we can learn anything 
from his mistakes. This is clearly at work in his family. The story begins in 1 Samuel chapter 9. And at the beginning of the story, we're told that Saul really is a, an, a special man. He comes from this line of people who have, have served God. His father is named Kish. He's a man of standing, Scripture says. An important man. A man who has done something with his life. And then Saul is described physically as, as a tall man, head and shoulders above everyone else. In a time when leaders were often chosen because of their ability to be great warriors, here's a man who was built to be a warrior. Surely he, this is the guy who should be the leader of Israel. Just look at him. Now Kish was a wealthy man, Saul's father. And wealth in that day was often held in livestock. And Kish apparently owned a large number of donkeys. And as was often a problem in the ancient world, because they didn't have fences like we do today, they were constantly mending them, and the donkeys got out. Of course, this does happen when we lived in Tennessee. There was livestock everywhere and cows everywhere, cows walking through our yard occasionally. And, and one of the ladies in the church who was probably in her 70s at that time said her sons had been trying to outsmart cows for 40 years and still had not figured that out. So we have the same problem today. But Saul gets the thankless job. Go find the donkeys. And so he takes his servant and they set out on sort of a circular route trying to find anybody who's seen all these donkeys or where are they going to find them? I don't know, but they keep looking and finally gets to the point that Saul's sort of thinking, you know what, by this time we've been gone so long that they're probably more worried about us than they are the donkeys. But his servant says, his servant says, we're in this town of Zuf. And there's a prophet, what Scripture calls a seer. Maybe he can help us find them. And Saul says, well, you know, we sort of need to get home, and you know, we don't have anything to, to pay the seer, the prophet. Uh, my pockets are empty. I, I've used everything I had just to survive this trip. And the servant again says, I've got a quarter of a shekel. That's enough. Let's go see him. And so they go into the town, and they come across this man, the first man that they see, and they say, is, is the seer, is the prophet, is he in town today? And surprisingly enough, the first man that they saw says to them, I'm he. I'm Samuel. And they introduce themselves, and Samuel says, I'm just now going up to the high place, the place that we worship God, the one true God, and we're going to have a feast there. And as a matter of fact, I want you to come. And I want you to be not just a participant, not just somebody who shows up and sits in the back corner. I want you to sit in a place of honor. I want this feast to center around you and your servant. You're going to sit at the head table. Now immediately Saul must have thought, well, what's going on here? I mean, a minute ago we were just looking for donkeys, and now we're sitting at the place of honor in this worship meal that this prophet Samuel has prepared. And, and then we're told sort of parenthetically that Samuel had been told by God to expect someone from Saul's tribe, and when he arrived, Samuel was to anoint him as the next leader of Israel. So Samuel has been preparing for this for days. 
And he says, come, just worship, and then tomorrow I'll talk to you. And so they do. And then the next day we read these words, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying this, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance, over the people of Israel? He is now what we would call the Messiah, the anointed one. He has been chosen to be the next leader of Israel. And so at this point, what he has to do is just wait. Wait until the time in which he would be appointed, lifted up, enthroned. And he's told about the donkeys and everything gets back. And and then as soon Samuel turns and, and he says it's time to call the people together. Before he does that, verse 9, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. Samuel said, you're going to prophesy. Verse 10, and when he and his servants arrived in, arrived in Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. You see, everything that that Samuel said was done to confirm for Saul that he had been chosen. So later on, Samuel begins to call the people together and says, okay, it's time to appoint a king. Now Samuel had been opposed to this from the beginning. He had said, God is your king. You do not need an earthly king. But if that's what you want, I've gone to God and God says, okay, let's do it. And he says, okay, let's come together and we're going to choose this person by lot. And so they choose from the 12 tribes of Israel, and it's Benjamin. Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin that's chosen. And then from that, the clan of Matri. And then from that, the the family of Kish. And then from that, the name of Saul. God is so clearly acted here. God has been at work in this process from the very beginning, choosing the man who should lead Israel. And now the people have gathered together and they have been given the name of their king and they ask for their king to come forward and the only problem is he is nowhere to be found. Where is he? I mean, shouldn't God choose a person who was there? Shouldn't God choose a person who was ready to sit on the throne and be crowned king at that moment? I mean, this is sort of the pinnacle of Israel's history. They've been brought out of slavery and then ruled by these sort of chieftains, the judges, and now now they have a king, and he's been chosen by God. But yet what we find is that Saul's not there. Saul is doubting this. If we go back to chapter 9 where Samuel has tried to call Saul into this, when he heard that God had chosen him king, verse 21 of chapter 9, Saul answered, but am I not a Benjamite? Tribe of Benjamin. From the smallest tribe of Israel. Is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? I'm not important enough i haven't been groomed to be king i don't come from the the right family i don't have the right breeding to be king and so from the very beginning 
from the outset of this story, Saul is already doubting. Doubting God's Word. Doubting what God had been doing. Doubting God's choice of him as the leader. And so when, when the moment came that God, before all the people, chose him to be the leader very publicly, where is Saul? Verse 23. Let's start in verse 22. They inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes. He has hidden himself among the supplies. He's in the luggage. The king is hiding among the suitcases. They ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Physically, he should have been the king. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king. You know, when I read Samuel's words, I have to wonder, what did he mean? There's no one like him. There's no one as tall as him. There's no one who has the physical prowess of this man. God chose the right man because of the way he looks. Or was, was Samuel sort of thinking in his heart already, oh, there's nobody like him. Surely God could have chosen someone more fit to be the king. I don't know, because we're not told. But I know here, even at the beginning, Saul was hiding from the responsibility that God had given him. And we see all the way through that this is going to be a pattern. And it teaches us the lesson that we need to hear today, that we need to accept responsibility when it's given. And there are times in our lives when we clearly will be given responsibility, when it will be obvious to us that God has chosen us to do something. And I'm not talking about just to be leaders. I'm talking about responsibility in our lives. Maybe it's to be the right kind of parent. Maybe it's to be the right kind of spouse. Maybe it's to be just to be a follower of Jesus. Or maybe it is to lead a ministry or to teach or to be a mentor to someone or to be an example to someone or to be a leader in the church as a team leader, as an elder, Whatever it may be. But God is going to put responsibility in front of you. And the question is, are you going to take that responsibility? Are you going to accept what God has called you to do? Or are you going to hide in the luggage? What's your choice? What will you do with that? Will you take the responsibility God has given? Or will you hide from it? And this may change in life. Because during life, you know, we grow and the people around us grow and we're put in different circumstances. And it just might be that the responsibility God gives you tomorrow may be different from the one you have today. And we have to decide, am I going to take that responsibility or not? And I want us to think about three different ways maybe we can approach this. First of all, identify the areas of responsibility. You may have some responsibility in your life. And what we need to do, there may be more than one, but specifically, what is the area of responsibility that's in front of you today? I mean, is it being the right kind of parent or grandparent? 
the right spouse in this situation? What are you ignoring maybe about being a follower of Jesus? What is the responsibility that you have? Visualize what it would look like for you to fulfill that responsibility. And the question is, are you doing it? Or are you hiding from it? We make one choice or the other. We either say, I'm going to take this on and be the person that God's called me to be, or I'm going to ignore it and pretend it's not there and hide from it or hide the responsibility. So accept it. Identify it. And then depend on God to help you do what you feel like you can't do. You know, it very well may be that one of the reasons that we hide from some of the responsibilities in our lives is because we feel inadequate. Maybe we feel just like Saul. Listen, I'm not prepared for this. I wasn't born into this. I wasn't taught this. I'm not ready for this. And sometimes that's just normal. But here's the thing. I don't believe God's going to give you a responsibility in your life that He's not going to help you fulfill. So depend on Him. Yeah, you may feel inadequate. Most of us at one time or another in parenting feel like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't feel prepared for this. I'm not up to this. And that's when we depend on God. And what we really should do is depend on God through it all. In parenting, on your job, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your service, as a follower of Jesus, there are times when we have to say, I don't know what to do here. I don't know how to do this. The only way this is going to happen is if God empowers me to fulfill what He's put in front of me. And those are great moments to grow in our faith. And we need to embrace them and allow God to be at work. And then third, Make fewer excuses and take more action. You know, we can all come up with excuses. We can all come up with reasons why I can't do this, why someone else should do it, why someone else is better qualified, why someone else should be chosen by God to do it, whatever it may be. We can always defer. We can always say, why I can't do this. And what really, what we see at work in Saul is that the excuses don't work. They only lead to self-destruction. They only lead to us missing what God has called us to be and to do. They only lead to us missing the joy that comes from fulfilling our purposes in life. And so we've got to forget the excuses and say, okay, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. Even if it's difficult, even if it's challenging, even if it seems overwhelming, even if it seems like there are other people who should be doing it, if it's there in front of us, do it. We take action. So let me ask you today. What responsibility have you been avoiding? What responsibility is out there that you've been thinking somebody else will do it? Somebody else is better qualified. Somebody else can handle this, and I can't. Let me encourage you today. Accept the responsibility that God has given you. 
and be the person he's called you to be. Let's pray together. God, it's easy to identify the mistakes of other people. In some ways, that's just what we're doing with Saul. Seeing this example of a life that really unravels. But God, we know in our hearts, sometimes we make the same mistakes. So God, we pray today that you will empower us. That when we find responsibilities in our path, you'll help us to accept them, to take them on, and to depend on you to fulfill what you put there. God, give us the strength to be people of courage so that we take these things on, knowing that we're inadequate, but knowing that you're strong enough to carry us through. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today God is calling you to take on the responsibility of being a follower of Jesus, a child of God. And maybe you're ready to take that and be baptized into Christ and to live a life with Him. If you've made that decision, we want to know about it. Or maybe you're a baptized believer and you want to be a member of this church, attached to us, part of this body. If you've made that decision, we'd like to know about it as well. Come forward as we sing our invitation song today. Let's stand together.